0: Gentlemen, welcome to the Alpha M Podcast, the podcast where I talk business, self-improvement, lifestyle, and more. Whether or not it's just me sort of talking, a little bit of audio action for you to enjoy, or me sitting down with a special guest to find out more about the steps they took to become successful. Whether or not you're listening to this on the go, you're sitting at home right now listening, I appreciate your time. And so if you're ready, let's dive in to this next badass episode. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Alpha M Podcast. Today, I've got a very special guest, a fellow content creator, entrepreneur extraordinaire, and somebody that I've actually interacted with quite a few times over the years. We've never officially met. Hopefully, I'll get to Texas soon and see you and and all your empires down there. Uh, We've got Max Tuning with us today, and I cannot wait to talk about your story because it's really inspiring to see what you've done, Max. Um, Over the years, you started YouTube like nine years ago. When you started, it was all about, you know, powerlifting and you did a crazy amount of, of content over the years. And in the past few, it's really taken a different spin and twist more towards like a personal vlog. And um, really, you've, you've sort of allowed people to come into your life a bit more in terms of your business, your entrepreneurial you know, sort of happenings. You've got two incredibly successful businesses, Ever Forward of power Apparel, along with Sour Strips, which are candies that mm. um, or candy that that is uh, a really interesting story as well. And so, Max, thanks so much for being here, man.
1: Absolutely. I'm excited to uh, excited to connect, man. I've been listening to a lot of the podcast, so it's cool to to be on, man, and tell uh, tell the story to the people.
0: All right. So let's start there. Why don't you tell us and take us back a little bit to the beginning of Sort of like where where, and how did it all start for you being where you are now?
1: So I think like a lot of people, I was a consumer of content before I ever created content. I, I actually tried to make YouTube videos at one point. I tried to make these fitness videos where I would just be shirtless and show recipes. And I think I made three videos and it wasn't for me because I wasn't really showcasing my personality. And then the, the first thing that ever triggered me to make a video was I used to buy these lifting belts. It was called an Enzer belt. It was a lever mm-hmm. belt. And when I would buy them, I'd be like, Oh, I watched YouTube video reviews on it. And then after I had mine for a little bit, I was like, you know what? It'd be cool for people to watch a video about my thoughts about the Enzer belt. So that was my first ever piece of content. I, I created that. And then I just kind of uploaded vi- video clips here and there of personal PRs in the gym. And Someone that I was I watched a lot amongst a lot of other people was this guy named Nick Wright, who lived in Rhode Island, who was a fitness YouTuber, and then one day he put out a tweet that was like, "I'm moving to Virginia for the summer, specifically Richmond, Virginia," um, and I was like, "Wow, that's where that's where I live. That's crazy," and it was a lot easier to kind of reach out to influencers back then because it was they're they 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 weren't as big and established and they got to all their messages and everything. And I hit them up and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm, I live in that area. I train at this gym. You know, if you, if you haven't had anyone reach out to you, like I'd love to, we could train together. I'm a power lifter. And he made videos. He had like 30,000 subscribers, which blew my mind at the moment at at (laughs) that. Then that was a huge number and still is a big number. And then I, I started, being in his videos. And he was like, Hey, you know, you're, you're a skinny guy who can deadlift a lot. You kind of have a unique personality with just who you are. And I I think you should make videos as well. And it was one of those things that that just kind of started it all. And it's, I always say that if I, I never, if he never moved there to where I lived, I don't think I ever would have started. Or if I did, it would have taken a whole different path and the rest has been kind of history. So you, uh, you went to college, correct? Yep. I went to I graduated from Virginia Commonwealth University, VCU in Richmond, Virginia. I, I did took me five years to do college. Uh, two and a half was at the community college because I wasn't a I was not a I didn't do well academically in high school. I was always a class clown, always getting I would get like seasoned gym class because I'd be running my mouth and getting points off. So I only applied <laughs> to one school, VCU. Didn't get in. That was where my friends are going to go. I was devastated. I was like, wow, everyone's going to think I'm a loser. Everyone's going to think like I didn't get into college. So uh, I ended up going to the community college, but it, it worked out because, you know, in the long run, you realize like how much money you save and all that jazz. But also the campus they had for this community college was actually, they had one downtown right next to VCU where I wanted to go. So I still had the ex- I still had the exact same college experience because even if I'd gone to VCU, I would have moved in with my buddies who were a grade above me who went to VCU. Sure. So I didn't really miss out on anything. And I I really had an easier experience going into college and uh, just, you know, saved a lot of money as well. So, so how did,
0: so, so after you graduated from college, what was your job? What was your job? I was, what I'm trying to get at is, You started posting YouTube videos. What were you doing at that point? Were you in college when you started posting YouTube videos? I I kind of
1: started YouTube right at the end of my college career. So I think right after I graduated was right around when I met Nick and started making those videos, which was 2000. I think my first video was either late 2012 or 13. I'd say early 2013 was when I truly started. I had a couple clips before that on my channel. Um, But I graduated with a business administration management degree. And then I got a job. I actually worked as a personal trainer for a little bit at a gold's gym. And then I got an internship at like Scott trade doing stockbroker stuff. And I ended up getting my full-time job at, um, a company where they did like staffing, like it staffing, recruiting, where I'd basically be like a headhunter and hire people for other jobs.
0: So what did you want to do? Like when you were younger in, in college or, or even in high school, like, what was the dream? Like, what was the max dream? Like if I, you know, is it a personal trainer because you were into fitness? No.
1: Well, oh, when I, when I started with when I got a, a gym member or a personal training membership, a per, personal training job at Gold's Gym. I was like, but this is the pinnacle. Like I'm a, I'm a trainer at Gold's Gym, baby. And then <laughs> I realized $12 an hour. Oh yeah. And <laughs> no, you, you would make, you would make $8 an hour and then you would make $8 an hour for this session. So I was like $16 an hour. But if the person didn't show up you still had to just stand there for an hour to even make the $8. So if you didn't, it, it, there was a lot of things you learned about it. Um, but it was a good experience. And then to be honest, as weird as it sounds, me and my buddies always joked when we were growing up, that like, we didn't care about the job. We didn't care how miserable we were at the job. We're like, we just want to make a lot of money, you know, because I I'm fine if I'm miserable for eight hours, if I'm making, you know, stacks baby, like I was, um, I, we always joked. Yeah, out like, yeah. I just want. I want a corner office with a with a briefcase. And I my my goal in life when I was in college was I want to be in a position at a company <laughs> where when I call someone into my office they're like oh man like what did I what did I do like 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 I was in a power a power position. I wanted a secretary. I I, I didn't care what the job was. I just wanted a briefcase and a corner okay. office. Okay,
0: <laughs> you just wanted a briefcase. That was it. So 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 you get out of college. You you get a job. You're working the job. You're making YouTube videos. How long? Into your YouTube sort of journey, did you make it a full time thing?
1: Three years, I I made videos for three years while working a full time job, and it's a I'll call condensed a story, but I actually got fired from my first job out of college because of YouTube. Um, They, this was again when I started YouTube, which you know you're probably familiar with. Like it, it's still kind of a weird thing, but it was very much a weird thing back then, and people didn't accept it. It wasn't normal to film out in the world it was maybe maybe you are in a studio you're in your room that's one thing but essentially I I used to make these Dave eating videos and I filmed one clip at my job where I was eating like a gummy worm and you couldn't even I I didn't have a badge on I didn't you could there was no logos anywhere You, you would no one would have known where I am and it was like a five second clip in the middle of my video and three weeks later after that video I got pulled in the office They're like you filmed in the office. You can't do that. And I was like, Oh God, okay. And and they were like, You need to sign this saying you're a warning. You can never like you can't film at all ever. And I was like, Okay. I was like, First of all, I don't know how y'all even saw this. This was weeks ago in the middle of a video for five seconds. And then, flash forward three weeks later, and I was like, You know, okay, I'll never film in the office again. Three weeks later, I got fired because of a video that I made before that video where I'm talking, and I'm filming with like a potato camera at that time, like yeah, a camcorder. Yeah. I'm talking about my thoughts about alcohol in the gym in college. And I guess I absentmindedly grab my ID badge and I'm like spinning it in my hand, but the quality is 360p. You wouldn't have been yeah. able to make out whatever. And they're like, yeah, because you showed the logo, we have to let you go. You should have deleted all videos. I'm like, so essentially what happened is I think they didn't like me having a YouTube channel. I was a lot more raunchy and vulgar with my language. Mm-hmm. And cause they even said like, hey, you know, we're not telling you what to do, but we would be careful about making videos because if someone looks you up and you know gets a an idea of who you are before even meeting you. But I think basically they didn't like my YouTube videos for whatever the content I made, and they probably hired someone to like find a reason that they could let me go because of that. And sure. when I got fired from that job, um, I thought my world was over. I was like, oh, wow, everyone's going to think I'm a loser. And I almost contemplated just never making videos again because I was like, I need to focus on my career. Like I wasn't making any money from YouTube. But then – I ended up getting a job like a week later doing the same thing down the street actually. And I just kind of, that was a turning point for me to clean up my content, not drop F bombs every third word (laughs) and Mm -hmm. um, to just realize that the balance between the two and you know, it's, it was like the best thing that ever happened to me because it, it made me change my content. And it also just like made me realize how passionate I was about making videos because I didn't want to give it up, but I almost was like, so this is dumb. So how did you?
0: So how did you first start making money off of YouTube? Was it sponsorship? Was it, um, you know, AdSense? You know, what was it in terms of how did you? I use that to make
1: money. I see. I don't even know when I started making money from like Google and what it was. I think you had to hit like a hundred dollar threshold or something, you know, crazy. And I was super stoked about that. But I guess I started getting like little affiliate stuff. And there was actually this company that uh, would, and they they did they did it with a lot of influencers in the fitness space they would pay you $50 a month and give you like $50 with of supplements. And again, I was college. I was like 50 bucks. Sure, man. And, and all they <laughs> wanted, all they wanted was you put their intro in the beginning of every single one of your videos. And I was like, sure, five seconds, whatever. And it wasn't until my friend was like, and, and I didn't believe him. He was like, you idiot. Like you're branding their image across all your videos for $50. And I was like, it's whatever. It's two seconds, 50. Um, so that's when I started making a little bit of money and then just, I guess over time, I started working with other brands and started doing kind of uh, you know the fitness space. You, you you work with with supplement companies, and then you kind of most fitness people go down the path of creating you know merch apparel or, or yeah 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 yeah. And so you started. So, I started you, making t-shirts.
0: You didn't you um you also had like a, a style channel for a while right?
1: Is that I, like, I, I did. It was, right? it was called Max Max Lifestyle. It was very. I I, I don't want to say it was similar to what you did, but I it, I I haven't made a video on there in years and years and years. And it was a you know three things every guy needs in his closet yeah. and through all this different tips. And I got a lot of inspiration from from you and a lot of other people because I was like, okay, you know he has you know it's kind of like with any video you you're interested in other people's perspectives on fitness on sure. you, know, you know lifestyle fashion, but I got kind of. And I, I, here's where I give major props to you for continuing to, to, to keep innovating. But after a while, I was like, man, I feel like I've, I've given a lot of tips. I'm like, what else can I tell people? What, <laughs> I, like, how many times can I tell people to, like, use wooden hangers instead of plastic hangers in their closet? You know, like, yeah. here's different ways to roll up your sleeves. And I just, I guess I didn't really like, I didn't enjoy just standing in a certain spot and filming one piece of content like sure. you're been doing for a long time. And that's why, you know, <laughs> <Too> different <long. laughs> people enjoy different stuff, but it, it just wasn't for me. And um, I realized that it was too hard to balance multiple things. And I was like, i I'd rather just incorporate. You've lifestyle. always
0: been in, you've always been in the style. You have a Brown leather jacket that I've seen in, in, a video or two. It, it was a while ago, but I loved your brown leather jacket. I'm like, that leather it's jacket. Cole
1: Haan. it's nice. It's... Is it? I have, a, I have a Cole Haan one, and that's the light brown one. And then the dark brown one is a uh, coach jacket. It, I it
0: was it must be the coach one because I saw that jacket. I'm like, damn, I'm like the jacket's so <laughs> sexy. Right. So so anyway, you are a fellow uh, uh, fashionista. You don't you don't wear many of those leather jackets down in Texas. Right.
1: Uh, I, I don't was too, a little too hot here, but I, I would definitely think I have a, a very East Coast style. I, I like button downs. I like, you know, polos. I like, ch- I love chinos and, and, um you know, chukka boots and things like that. And I like funky socks. And it, it's funny. You can tell the difference like in Texas, for example, not only I don't do the, 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 the holy clothes and all the rips and stuff, but mm-hmm. I'll get so many comments that people be like, Like, why are you like rolling your pants up? They're too short. I'm like, it's called a cuff. Like, it's just, it's the style. (laughs) I'm like, I'm doing it on purpose. Like, and like people just have never seen a cuffed pant before. I'm like, it's so I can show, I can see my sock. Like, so people get, I'm like, they can't wrap their heads around it. I'm like, this is why I needed the fashion channel.
0: So talk a little bit about, about the evolution of, of, of your entrepreneurial sort of journey. You ended up leaving, obviously your, your job. And then you moved from Virginia to Texas. You mm-hmm. had a friend Christian I believe was was in Texas. Um, you already had did you already have the apparel company prior to moving to Texas? and then yeah. it was like so, so explain, okay, when did you start ever forward apparel? Was that, so, that was your first business that you kind of started, right? It was the apparel.
1: Yeah, it, it was. I technically had these shirts called uh, people would call me the deadlift bra. And, you know, this was back in the, the bro bra days, you know, and I had this silhouette of me deadlifting and people called me the deadlift bra because I could deadlift a lot. And I made merch that has had that logo and it said deadlift bra and I sold a bunch of those. And then I wanted to create a clothing line. This was in 2014 is when I created Everford Apparel. Um, I wanted to create a, an apparel line, but I was like, I kind of want it. To be a next level up, I want to import it from China. I want to have, like, custom, you know, details, custom fabrics, custom measurements. And I wanted it to be a little bit separate from myself that didn't have me on it or my name or my image so it could kind of grow beyond me. And you have a story
0: about the name that's really, you know, powerful and inspirational. So would you mind sharing a little bit of that?
1: Yeah. So when I was – Going down the clothing path, I was like, okay, like, like, what should I call it? Like, what what should be the name and most people would, you know, okay, like, let me think up either a cool name, a cool logo, you know, and and then whatever name they think up, they have to kind of like develop what that means. And they kind of tell the story of like, you know, this means to find your whatever, right. Mm -hmm. And for me, I was like, okay. Ever forward has been a mantra that has been kind of in my family for a long time. It, it ri- originates from the military, really. And my dad, really, everyone in the male side of my family, besides me, has been in the military, specifically the army. And my dad got that phrase from his time in the military and kind of instilled it into our family's kind of credo and our, you know, our our lifestyle. And our, um, with my, my brother and my sister and, you know, my whole family. And it was just something that he always said and kind of live, live by of that kind of, you know, always pushing yourself forward, the ever forward, literally what kind of what it means. Um, And so he passed in 2015 from um, ALS, which he got diagnosed like two years before that. And I was super young. I was 15. Which is one of the
0: most horrible diseases out there. I have a loved one that passed from that as well. And that is absolutely one of the worst diseases out there.
1: It 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 truly is, man, and you see people just deteriorate as a person, and it sucks because they're like they're inside their body and they just can't, you know, talk and walk, and but like their brain is still working, and it it just. And when I was when I was 15, it was hard for me to understand that I was losing my dad, and it affects me way more now when I talk about it, um, than when I was 15. Like when my mom came in my room, was like, you know, your dad passed. It's like. I didn't break down in tears. I just, I just didn't impact me and I was really close to my dad and I just, I can never understand why. And then I, you know, now I'm always like, I, you know, I wish I had spent more time when he was sick. And um, so that was, it was easy for me to give the reasoning why I chose ever forward because of just the direct tie. I didn't have to kind of develop one going on in background. We're good. Keep, keep uh, rolling,
0: Max. We're, (laughs) we're, I, uh,
1: I, kind of just told my story. I didn't have to kind of make up anything. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with it. I just was like, hey, this is why I called it this. Here is what it means to me. And, you know, and hopefully a lot of you can maybe instill this phrase into your life. And I didn't create it to be like a motivational clothing brand. I was just like, you know, this is why I called it that. And that was in 2014. And, you know, we've been going strong ever since. And I started building that in 14. And then, Remember, I started YouTube early 13. So for three years, I did YouTube and clothing for, you know, all by myself. I did, I did every, everything, every possible aspect of the business. I did it was packing out of my, my bedroom. And then it was July of 2016 when I finally decided to quit my job and pursue social media and the clothing thing full time. Cause I felt like I was not only did I track my finances for an entire year to make sure that I could make the kind of like right around the same amount of money each month for a year. To make sure it was consistent, um, and then I, July, I was like, I was like, I think I'm missing out on opportunities to grow what I'm doing even more by traveling collaborations. Like, you know, I only get X amount of days vacation. I was like, I'm missing out on collaborations back then. Were not that they're not important now, but then they were so they had so much impact when you put someone on your channel. I mean, it would be thousands and thousands of subscribers and growth and, you know, this network. And that's when I started traveling a lot to these expos. Like I'm missing. I was like, I can't travel if I'm working and all I'm doing at work was the minimal amount I could to like, make sure I'm doing okay at the job and to not be on the radar. And at every other second, I'm thinking about social media. I'm thinking about the clothing and it, it, it was a, a big leap. And what's funny is when I called my boss Every day I was like, just pick up the phone, Max, call your boss, call, like, pick, pick it up. Because I was working in D.C. <laughs> in, when he was in Virginia. And w- when I when I told him that I was quitting, he was like, I knew this was coming. You know, he's like, best of luck on everything you're doing. He's like, I, I, I would do the same thing if I were you in your position. He was very supportive of it. And I remember I called my mom the day before. I was like, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about to quit. She's like, I don't think it's a good idea. I was like, yeah, of course well, not, I'm- right. I was like i'm more telling you that i'm doing it not really asking for your blessing
0: so what is with the with an apparel company i i, I talked to a lot of people that you know have this the vision of of them creating like an apparel company and and because clothing is sexy don't do
1: it, don't do yeah, it. and
0: that is that is kind of the next question is God. like you know it sounds great what are the biggest i guess hurdles that you have had to overcome in terms of apparel i mean for one, you know, I, I have a sunglass company and just right. the returns, the sizing, like it's the shipping. It is just a and it's kind of a nightmare, Kim, as it opposed is. to a grooming company. And I'm assuming that that you have a lot less returns with candy than you do with with apparel. Yeah. Um, so the apparel industry, could you talk a little bit about? Sort of maybe maybe your best piece of advice for somebody that's thinking about starting it, you know what to do, how to how to do it, how to do it smarter or better than you did when you started, um, because you you know you do these drops, right? A lot mm-hmm. of the guys that are creating these these apparel brands are doing drops seasonally or whatever. You create that be. hype, you know? Yeah, it's it, it's all about the hype. It, you you drop it, you do crazy sales in like one or two days or three days or four days, but then the with that with that increased volume all of the other problems increase and escalate as well in terms of customer service, in terms of shipping, in terms of, you know, you know, Hey, I can't track my package. Where's my package. 100%. So talk a little bit about, about, about the apparel industry, if you would.
1: So it's, it's a beast. And I, a lot of people want to go from, you know, I have an idea to starting a clothing company to a full fledged company and they don't want to kind of, they think it's a very quick jump. And mm-hmm. I got been doing it for five years and I have done every possible facet of my business at some point in you know i've with manufacturing samples packing you know i've done it all customer service for years and years and years and most people that want to start an apparel company they always ask me hey how do I find a manufacturer and whenever someone asks me a question like that i'm like i don't even think this is right the path for you because if you're asking a question that you could simply google um i'm like you know you need to be obsessed with the the research and learning about it before you can go down the path of managing an entire clothing brand and it's just it is such a interesting beast because not only you have so many sides of it because not only do you have to deal with the constantly evolving trends and color palettes and what's good and that's what with ever ford i try to focus more on these staple pieces rather than to keep up with trends because you know and you know nike is always Five years ahead of you, you know, these Lulu is always so it's like you're going to always be playing catch up. And for me, I focus on just kind of the essential stuff, but um, you just got to take it one step at a time and understand the the time it takes for clothing to get to like you know get into the consumer's hands and that's why a lot of people get angry whether it's like oh my gosh like you must have had only five pieces like, that get sold out in five seconds i'm so angry oh my gosh like my packaging gets shipped out until five days after and until you have that business you can't understand the frustration and the uncertainty of everything um it is an extremely as you scale it's an extremely cost um intensive business because You know, you need, especially when you launch a completely new product, you have no idea how it's going to do. So you're like, how much inventory do I have? You know, you, you know, and then you have to store all of it. You need all that overhead. You have to always have so much product on hand or else you're going to be, you know, not making any income for months and months. People, when they launch something in the, in the, in October, you need to be ordering that in January. So you have to be so far ahead of yourself. It's just, you need to be obsessed with it or I wouldn't go down that path. And again, and a lot of people also have the assumption that clothing made overseas is made for a dollar and it's super <laughs> no. cheap. Whatever. It's,
0: it, it's only cheap if you use cheap, you know, and that that I same quite, same thing with, with glasses. Yeah, you know, go ahead, I'll let you explain and then I'll well, I, 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 no
1: it's it's funny, I'll get comments that'll say like, oh, this like cheap Chinese clothing. I'm like, are you typing this on your cheap Chinese phone or your cheap Chinese laptop? Like, you know. Um just because something comes from overseas doesn't mean it's cheap quality. And it's also not a penny to make these t-shirts, especially as you evolve and you're increasing the quality, you know, the, the, the type of zippers you're using, the type of details, are you doing laser engraving, you know, and you're trying to do the best you can and continue to scale. And people also had the expectation that you should be at version 10 of your product, you know, at version one. And when there's like a, something, you know, off about it They're like this sucks this is crap and you're like you know it's it's such a learning process and you have to be able to handle all that criticism and and just just handle it at all and it's again anyone that wants to go down the path of clothing specifically I'm like you were in for a wild ride a lot of learning and <laughs> get ready to spend a whole lot of money because it's it's a beast
0: yeah and and the one thing i say to people when when they say oh your your, your sunglasses are are cheap or whatever it's China, it's only a cheap product if you use the cheap components, right? But if Mm -hmm. you are, what China does incredibly well is assemble things and they assemble things quickly and they assemble things accurately. But it all depends on the, the components that you're actually using. And so if you're using, you know, for me, it's Zeiss lenses, you know, that are coming from Zeiss. Ba- yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you're getting, you know, Mazzuczoli acetate from Italy, they're importing it there, you know, and they're assembling it. It's a high quality product that's just happens to be assembled in China. And um, I think but- an-
1: another another thing that people also don't understand is when you're trying to build a a, a brand or a company. And people are, you know, let's say a t-shirt cost you, throw it a number like $8 and you sell it for $25, $30. You know, they're like, oh my gosh, you're making all this margin. You're like, it's not just so I can sell this t-shirt to make the $15. It's like, you need to make enough to grow a company and grow a brand and have overhead and have employees. It's not just so I can sell something to take that money and immediately put it in my pocket. It's like, you people don't understand, like just people think that everything should be a a dollar in cost because it costs 75 cents to make, you know, and it's like, I'm not, I'm not trying to rip you off. I'm trying to create a brand and to create, do that. Like I have to make money. Like I have to grow to pay employees.
0: How many employees do you have with your two companies?
1: So in-house we have four, four full-time employees. And then I have a lot of people that are kind of on contract or that are, that are all remote. Most of my graphics and designers are all remote. All of the, on the clothing side, we have a whole kind of design team that, you know, we pay. I pay them basically by like, they design everything, blah, 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 blah. And then when I'm ready to order, they just take a cut of like, if they're like, hey, a t-shirt is $10, it probably actually costs you know, $9 and they're taking the yeah. dollar, um, but they design and, you know, and they don't make any money until I order something from them rather than just paying design fees and design fees. So that's the way that kind of works. But I, I don't even know. Cause I, I, I have so many kind of moving parts with the, all the mm-hmm. things that I do, but in-house for full-time, but I have a whole lot of part-time people, a whole lot of contracted workers, 1099 people just across the country, across the world for sour strips. For example, I have people in the, uh, like the guy who makes all my characters is in the Philippines. The guy who does all my bag design is in Chicago. Let's let's,
0: let's talk <laughs> about sour strips. Okay, so no. I remember the video you did where you said something about I'm investing, or fifty thousand dollars or something of that effect, right? And yep. see, and so I said I'm, I was thinking I'm like, what is he doing? Talk about being in the candy business. Why did you get into that? And talk a little bit about that because that is very different than the the apparel. And then we're going to talk a little bit about which business is a more profitable, which one has the ability to grow and scale faster. And um, because I also saw a video that you did where you hit some, uh, I think it was a target number of bags, one millionth bag or something of that.
1: We've surpassed that by a lot now. We'll get we'll get to that one. We'll go back to the beginning. I so I've been a diehard sour candy fan like, I, I, it's hard for me to even ex- describe how much I love candy. If you were to ask my entire family member, if my dad was here, he could tell you. I've just been a- obsessed with candy and sugar my entire life. And I have, not even exaggerating, probably since I was 10 years old, every, even to this day, every gas station, every convenience store, I have, I have walked down every candy aisle, every store I've ever been in every time I go, because I'm just obsessed with it. I've, I've always been eating sour candy. So I've seen everything, right? And I got really motivated by my friend Christian, who started an energy drink company with a consumable. I was like, you know, this is something that people are gonna, you know, consume and then repurchase. So not only is it a good business idea for me. I was like, why does all sour candy suck? That was my big, my, my, my big thought. And also, I was like, all the branding is is so old school because these companies are so they're huge conglomerates, but they've been around for ages and. They just—they don't really need to do wild innovation and in marketing because they have the, the awareness, right? You know, um, you know, you don't need to tell anyone what Haribo gummy bears are. You know, they—they they just know what they are. You know, trolley gummy worms. And so I remember it was 2017 or 18. I told like, my mom, I was like, I'm gonna start a candy company, and I think I can, I think I can really do it. And I started actually with two partners at the time. And because I didn't think I could do everything myself, even though I'd done it for clothing, but I was like, I need partners because I can't do the business of distribution and all that. Like I need, I need people to do all that for me. I just want to be the face of the brand. And for probably six or seven months, we kept just trying, we kept hitting roadblocks and trying to find manufacturers and getting samples and working with different co-packers. And we just, I knew exactly what the product needed to taste like and feel like, and the experience, because I knew what I hated with candy, whether it be you know, super sticky in the bag and it's all wet or it's all stuck together or, you know, it's not sour when it says it's sour or the branding is made for like little kids. And then we hit a bunch of roadblocks and I actually almost like shut down the idea because I was like, maybe this is why people don't make create candy brands because it's just so difficult to start. And um, so then about six months went by and it wasn't until I moved to Texas that I I was like, I can do this. I can, I can create this brand. And I finally found a manufacturer that had a product that was amazing. And I, I developed a relationship. I found a co-packer and then I started on the branding. And then I remember sitting in the office where I was trying to think of a name. Cause I was like, okay, I found the candy. Now what's the name going to be? And I thought up <laughs> the sour strips and I was like, it's so simple, right? It's so such a simple name. And I realized that there had been other sour strips, but the idea behind the name was it's a descriptive name, right? So really anyone could create a, a sour strips, but what's been done was it's always been like the, the company. And then like the candy is just sour strips of candy. Right. And I was like, what if you kind of reverse that and did the, I always compare it to like a Kellogg's where if I was like, Hey, Aaron, pick me up some frosted flakes. You know, exactly that I want Kellogg's frosted flakes, even though there can be Frosted flakes of any brand because it's literally describing what the product is. But if I if you brought that back, I'd be like, no, 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 I wanted Frosted flakes. And I was like, what if I did that with candy, and just created this super simple, catchy name, Sour Strips, and made that so that everyone wants Sour Strips, the brand. And then I I went on Instagram, and no one had Sour Strips on Instagram. Blew my mind. I went what to about GoDaddy. the
0: domain. Yeah. Oh, no was... one had it.
1: Nah. No one had it. And what's what's wild is is d- GoDaddy had, I guess, cl- uh, dis- decided that it was a premium name. So it was like 250 bucks instead of the, the $2 or whatever it was. Yeah. But no one had the domain. No one had the Instagram. And I was like, this is it. And then Actual Candy is the parent company name. I was like, okay, let me call it that in case I ever d- do something besides Sour Strips. And, and I, the reason behind the Actual Candy is because uh, my thought was always like, why can't any brand make Actual Sour Candy? And then actual candy came and no one had actual candy. No one had actualcandy.com. And then the rest is kind of history. And I, you know, it did the hype thing and here we are. And so,
0: so talk a little bit about where you are with it.
1: So we, I, I launched the brand. I like to think I did a a somewhat flawless execution with the rollout. And that's what had the, created this growth trajectory. Uh, I launched it on my 30th birthday. Uh, So, so September of 2019 And I hyped it up for so long. I got this list of like 200 influencers where I was like, okay, I'm gonna send you a box. It's a secret project. And I kept typing it up and I was like, don't open it. I want your reaction. And I made this whole video and then I launched it. We had 20,000 units on launch, which is we had three flavors. So, or 21,000, we had 7,000 bags of each and we sold out in like an hour. And what's funny is, is, when I launched it, I, I told myself, I was like, this has to sell out in the first day or it's not going to work. Like it, it has to have that demand. And it did because I was, I almost like was begging people. I was like, Hey, this is my 30th birthday. I told people what the price was going to be before How I even started the project. I, I said it, it was, it was $20 for the product to $20 for the packet, for the bundle you got and uh, $5 shipping at the time. So I was like, it's 25 bucks. I'm not telling you what it is, but I was like, on my birthday, I need all of y'all. If you've ever watched any of my videos, this is where I want your support. $25. Like, I'm asking you to buy something. Um, just we need to blow this out of the water. And my goal with it was, I was like, direct-to-consumer candy online is not, like, that's not a thing people do. It's not a thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. Sure. So th- that was never the, the long-term plan. I was like, I just need to grow the brand online to be able to roll it into retail. Um, So we started September 2019. So we've been going for about a year and a half now, almost two years. And I wish I could tell you, uh, we've moved, I want to say close to 3 million bags, uh, maybe definitely over 2 million. Absolutely. Maybe, maybe even three, I should probably know this number. But it, basically, the whole first year was a very huge success with online and direct consumer and building the brand and building mm-hmm. the awareness. And my model with it is even to this day, we send out probably 20 boxes, these little influencer boxes, 20 boxes a day, uh, which is filled with like 12 bags for free to, a, to 20 new influencers every single day. Every single day, we're sending out 20 boxes easily. And we could even send out more, but we've kind of throttled it. But every day for the past year and a half, I've sent out to 20 to 30 per day new influencers. And I'm like, my, my mission is get this product, flood the world with it. Give it away for free. Give it to every influencer under the sun, anyone who has any sort of following. Give it to them and just get the brand out there. And now, and now it's
0: now it's in retail.
1: N- yeah, and, and – it was super exciting when we first got into our first couple of gas stations and slowly, but surely. And then really the biggest thing that happened in retail was when HEB reached out to us in like, maybe like actually right around September, they reached out to us and HEB is a very, for those who don't know, is a very popular uh, grocery chain in Texas. They have about 300 locations. And when they reached out, I was like, it's happening. This is like a big, big deal. And, What's interesting is when they, when they set it all up, they were interested whatever. And then after we were in their system, I thought we would just get into the stores, but the buyer was like, no, now you're in the system. Now you need to go, you need to go get the stores to want to buy your product. So I, I went into like five or six, I put on a nice and ever forward, actually a little Henley. (laughs) And I, I, I went with, I went into the store uh, with the box, like with a little pamphlet, and went into the managers. I was like, hey, we're in your system. You know, I'd like to tell you more about this product. I think it would do really well, blah, blah, blah. And I literally was selling to these managers myself. And I drove to five. We got into like three right out of the gate, and then it just started exploding. And then uh, HEB has been a huge success for us to show that it can, because I was worried when I went into retail that I knew that if I was like, hey, following, you know, it, hey guys, it's at this gas station, it's at this. And I knew that I could immediately sell out a product, but I was like, will it continue to sell after, right. every, after it sells out? Because I can impress you in the first 24 hours, but it just, it kept selling and it kept doing so well. And, um, and then, the, then what happened in October, actually the same day, on, it, was, it was right before Halloween, Walmart and Target both emailed me within like an hour of each other. It was super wild. And they were both interested in bringing us in. And this is how I've learned about uh, consumer packaged goods into retail is they reached out to me in October to bring me in around June or July. That's how long Hmm. it takes from like when they reach to you to when it actually goes into stores. And we were actually rolling out into 200 Walmarts probably this month. The product's already at the distribution center and we roll out into Target actually said they wanted to put us in 300 stores as a test which I was already like wow that's amazing. Yeah. And then we did one store because they directly ordered it and it did so well that at at that store and then the candy buyer is such a believer in social media that it went from 300 stores for the initial rollout which is going to be in June to 1300 which is 77% wow. of targets. Like it's been wild and and now You know, and my biggest thing was like, now it becomes a real brand. Now I'm, I'm not only am I taking shelf space from these other (laughs) brands is it's it's becoming a real thing. The online was the, was the play to be able to turn it into a real, real thing. Yeah.
0: So, so talk a little bit about before I before I let you go. You've been incredibly gracious with uh, telling us your story. It's been really fascinating. And this is really exciting. I didn't know all this with with the with the trajectory of the company. So which company is is uh sort of your your baby right now? I mean, I know that I know that ever forward is is you know something that you started and that was the first one, mm-hmm. but which one do you think is is the long-term play? It sounds to me like Something that is easily more scalable is the the sour strips as opposed
1: to the, the Absolutely. apparel line. Well, so with Everforward, over the five years, there, our growth has been almost, you know, one and a half to two x each year, and it's been a very consistent growth, growth, growth. And we've been doing extremely well. And then what's interesting is 2019 was our best year ever by far with Everforward. We did some massive numbers, and We actually last year did almost 50% less because of sour strips coming in and me having to put so much focus on that. I had to put the clothing on the back burner because so much of my attention needed sour strips. And we have the, I have done like five or six X what it took me five years to do with Everford in the first year with sour strips. And this year, I think we can even double or triple what we did in 2020. And it's just the thing with sour strips is that with Everford, it always has a tie to me. I I don't have to create a clothing brand that is beyond you. It needs to get massive with the candy. It has already done that, that I would say that 50%, I would say 50% of people that are consuming or buying sour strips. Have no idea a- who you are. Absolutely no yep. idea who I am. And that was the goal. It was like this can be beyond me. This can be bigger than me. And like I want it to be a household candy name. So, so, so Max, tell me this:
0: with the trajectory of sour strips, what is sort of what is it? What is a scenario that can happen? A, you just continue to grow and you dominate, and you're worldwide, and you're in every convenience store, every grocery store, every gas station. And you're, you know, making hundreds of millions of dollars a year, right? What is the other alternative? Could somebody potentially see the growth, see you guys taking shelf space from them and actually come in and, and offer to acquire you like any other, you know, brand that gets traction and that is started? And A, would you do that because of, of you being tied to it? I know that you know, a lot of entrepreneurs be like, "Oh no, I never sell." But then a lot I get asked this entrepreneurs-
1: a lot. No, I, I, I have some interesting thoughts on it. Uh, so, I think that a lot of the, and I don't know this for sure, but I think a lot of huge brands, like multi-billion-dollar brands, is I heard this on Shark Tank, and it was a really good um, explanation of it. Is like that big brands don't innovate; they let the entrepreneurs of our time do all the innovation for them and then they just bring them in under their under their wing because you know let the people who are in the like modern space like these that's what i think happens is that the the big brands let the entrepreneurs they innovate um was
0: that was who said that because i remember that episode right somebody i, I think it I was the guy from by ba- ba- bali um yeah. Was it him? Was it the uh, that, Rosh, that, Rashi? Rosh? I think Rosh, it was either him or it was Mark Cuban. It was one of the, it was somebody that that said that, or maybe even Chris Sokka. But yeah, I remember exactly, yeah. and, and I and thought about that, and it was it was like you know what that is exactly what happened. So go and, on. And I,
1: I think with with candy, what you have is companies either. I don't know the size you need to get before you start getting on their radar, but people don't want to give up their shelf space, and that's essentially what I'm kind of my mission now is to just consume shelf space, right? And market so share. Some more
0: flavors, more you know. Co- more, correct, more and
1: and I'm not growing the brand to sell it. I think I don't know if that's the best way to think about something because then you're kind of like you have this exit strategy and. and well, you the have- other
0: thing that happens when you when you grow a brand to sell it, it's it looks very different from a from a profitability standpoint, because Mm -hmm. you are basically just dumping money in order to scale and grow at pretty much any cost in order to make the big, you know, number super sexy. But when you're actually growing a business like a, you know, like a, not a lifestyle business, but a business that is, you know, has, you know, you're, you're looking at the bottom line and the profitability of it and all that. It it looks very different in terms of how you grow the business. And so I,
1: I, I, I don't know what I would do if I was approached, and it's actually very interesting timing because yesterday I won't say the company name, but I got an email um, from a very large company that wants to talk to me next week. And what's interesting is the people that are on the call are in the merger and acquisition, like they're like the directors. So it's very interesting of why those people would want to talk to me. Um, so we'll see what, what what kind of the path goes. But I think for me, like. Uh, I haven't taken any, I don't have any partners. Will, I don't you, have uh, any.
0: will you, will you send me an email and let me know what that call is about? Yeah. Now, yeah, like, yeah. I'm no, super
1: invested in the story yeah. now, Max. No, it, it's when I got the email, I was like, whoa. And then I looked up the people that are on the call. I was like, whoa, why would they, Uh-oh. why would they specifically want to talk to me? Exactly. Um, and let's see, where was I go? Oh, so <laughs> with, with, with sour strips, again, I, I don't have any investors. I've, I haven't taken any money. I, I you know, I, I don't want to say I bootstrapped it with $50,000, which is a lot of money, but that $50,000, um, which I spent almost 100% of that before I even launched, like that was like launched. I was like, I'm at zero. And then I just took off and I've dumped every dollar back into it. And I don't have any partners. Um, but what I've found is as I scale, not only that's where I, I have to do re- uh, online because the margins online are significantly more than retail. And that is what's able to help fund the retail. If, if I just tried to do what I'm about to do with retail, in the first six months of my business, I would I would have had to take money, absolutely, because I wouldn't have had the cash, or I would have had mm-hmm. to dump money from my own personal into it and keep investing. So, um, at
0: what point will you have to? Because that's a that's something that that yeah. one of my companies is is dealing with right now is okay. If we get this this deal with Target, you know, and we're going to have to because we just don't have the the, the free cash flow compared, mm-hmm. you know, to keep our our business sustainable and growing and doing what it needs to do here. Wait till you hear a, about the
1: fees that come along with all the retail stuff you want to do. And so, so,
0: so it, it's something that we are in the process of, of dealing uh, with. Uh, yeah. So and, can you fund, can you fund a purchase order from Walmart and Target and everybody?
1: Yes. W- without yeah, I, taking
0: money. Okay. Correct. Okay,
1: I, but I, I can absolutely f- fund us uh, for the near future. But the thing is like, as we grow, I'll need to throttle my, my growth And, you know, it's like, is doing 15X in one year and is that better or should you just do 2X and 3X and, you know, and keep and you're doing wild numbers, but you're just kind of slowing it down. And that's where I think if you took if a company wanted to acquire, I think it's either because you're either a threat to them and they would rather buy the company to make it go away because you're taking whatever money they're spending, like they're potentially losing money because customers are buying sour strips over this or what, what a partnership would allow to do is if, if I had unlimited manufacturing co-packing and funds, like the, the, the is the limit on how m- big I could grow this. Um, so would I be interested in a partnership with a company that could help the brand grow into what I think it can be as one of the top candy brands in the space? I would be open to the conversation of it. Um, but if someone just wants to write me a check, I, I, in my head, I think it's too too early and, and it's easy to take a big check and just walk away and be like, Oh, I'll start something else. Or I can go on a beach for a while, but also like, I, I think I can do this on my own. Like, I think I can get to these big numbers. I can keep doing that myself. And it's, it's really, really challenged me. It's and it's pushing me. And it's also forcing me to grow as a leader and a um, a boss and hiring more people. And I like the fact that I'm giving so many people jobs and employment. And, you know, the the co-packer is, you know, their business is making so much money because of me. And now and the manufacturer is increasing their capacity and fulfillment. And now they're making more money because of my growth. And I'm and it's like this storm of where I'm 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 helping a lot of the things that are that are moving. And I like that. And so I don't know what's going to happen with it. Um, In my mind, I'm like, I'm just on this path of, I'm going to keep growing this thing as big as I can go, but there will be a point where I'm going to have to limit my growth because of, I don't have unlimited resources. And it depends, you know, you see a lot of these brands, I won't name any, but like there's a lot of brands that I know, whether it's in the beverage space or even the, the food space where, you know, they'll take these 10, 20, $30 million, investments and they own 10% of their own company. And I'm like, I don't want that. Like, I don't, yep. it, it, it just, it, that's not for me. And and then, then you're forced when you only own X amount is then you're, then you have to have this $800 million exit or else you're just going to be in this rat race forever. So um, it, it's an interesting world. I'm in. It, I always say that sour strips is d- the success it's having is something that like shouldn't have worked and it shouldn't be, and it shouldn't have worked how well it did. And I think it came down to the execution and obviously my following helped drastically, but it's also a really good product. It's really cool branding. We're kind of disrupting the space in a branding aspect Mm -hmm. um, that I think a lot of other brands are, gonna start being like you know who who is this candy company who is this guy and then they're That's gonna amazing. see my weird videos and be like this is the owner he's exactly yeah. he's <laughs> saying this dumb <laughs> stuff in my videos <laughs> well and, i love and, it well yeah the
0: max where okay so everybody can basically go to everforwardapparel.com or sourstrips.com or go to uh the max's um youtube channel which we're gonna link everything down below Max, before I let you go, this has been really inspiring and, and amazing to see the growth and the success. And, and it's really just incredible um, just to see everything that you've done. Give the aspiring entrepreneur out there your best sort of piece of advice, as cliche as it may be or not. It's going mean, it to be cliche. No one wants okay, to it work hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's it? going it, it, it's, it's to be like this. Have patience, man. Everyone sees whether it's on a YouTube scale, They don't see the growth in the social media, and I tell them, I'm like, I've made over 1,200 YouTube videos. You know, I've been making videos for seven years, and people get frustrated when they make five and it doesn't, you know, take off. I'm like, how do you think I feel when I've been doing this for seven years, and these kind of new age influencer young kids start a year ago and have get a million views per video, and I'm like, like, I've been doing this for seven years, and I can't grow that fast, and like that's frustrating for me. But you know, it's it's understand on the the YouTube world and social media, I say, be, go all in on yourself. Don't try to be someone you're not. Um, my personality is a, you, you like it or you hate it kind of personality. And it's just who I am. And I don't try to portray that I'm not as weird and wacky as I am. And I just embrace it, the weird side of myself. And on the business side, same with like clothing or any new business is have patience because again, with the clothing, I've been doing it for, over five years I've, I've put in this work and people don't want to do that. And it's, it's easy to see people's quick success and they think that it's going to happen like that for everyone. (laughs) Exactly. And a hundred percent. And, and a lot of people just, they don't want to put in the work. So it's like, put your head down, believe in yourself and you know, you, you can truly achieve like amazing things and it's super cliche, but I mean, even, you know, you or myself who's just been doing this and for so long and people have seen the growth with companies and brands and just you as a person and leveling up in your life. And I think that's what's, what's super cool. And everyone has a story and everyone can tell that story to the world.
0: Well, Max, thank you so much for being a part of this. This was really, really exciting for me, and and I'm now I'm all in. So you got to let me know how that conversation goes 100%. with this unnamed brand, guys. If you want to check out anything that Max is doing, please hit those links down below. Make sure to go subscribe to his YouTube channel. Go grab a like 20 bags of sour strips. There you go. And uh, Max, you got to send me the uh, the lemonade version. I love lemonade or the uh, pink lemonade, right?
1: Hundred percent, man.
0: All right. Send them to me because uh, I love lemonade. But anyway, Max, thank you so much. Continued success. I'm rooting for you and it's exciting to see good things happen to good people. So congratulations. Keep busting and kicking ass and uh, I'll see you on the other side. Appreciate it, man. Gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you dug it, make sure to drop us a review, also a rating, as this helps the podcast reach more incredible gentlemen just like yourself. And don't forget to subscribe because it's free, and you don't want to miss another incredible episode. Guys, thank you so much for your continued support. I think you're amazing, and don't forget how awesome you are.